what you said before about Michael Myers living in our house? Is that really true? Is everything all right? Who are you? I came to help your family. This force, this thing that lived inside of him came from a source too violent, too deadly for you to imagine. It grew inside him, contaminating his soul. It was pure evil. This baby, Jamie's baby. She is the last of his bloodline. Babysitting with him that night, the night he murdered his sister. Michael heard a voice. It told him to kill his family. I know what's going on. <laughs> it must be the boogeyman. <laughs> Here I come, boogeyman. As you know, I am really scared. You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. Well, we're back again and uh, got Brandon here with me. I invited him back after he washed his balls uh, in the last couple of weeks and <laughs> decided not to stink up the joint. So welcome back, Brandon. Good to have you. How's everything going? It's going good. I'm feeling a lot better than I did last time. Definitely good to be back. Well, it's good, man. It's, it's good to have you back and... Uh, we're going to be tackling a, a subject today that we're both uh, real excited about. At least I can speak for myself on that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Halloween Six is uh, spoiler alert is uh, definitely up there with my favorite mask in the entire uh, franchise. It's it's definitely my favorite sequel mask, and a lot of people are like, "Well, what about Halloween 2? And I'm like, "Well, it's the same mask. It's just worn by a different actor, and the black kind of wore out of the hair. It's a little dirtier." But it's the same mask, so I don't even consider that a different mask. It looks a tad different, but the first true sequel mask, Halloween 6, uh, definitely is is my favorite sequel mask. I have to agree. I, I do the same thing with grouping, and people kind of call them different masks with uh, H1 and H2, but it's definitely the same exact mask, so I just kind of group them together. Absolutely. All right. Um, <laughs> Halloween six was my first Halloween in theaters at 17. I was, I told a story about seeing, going to party city for the first time a couple of years before I had, uh, got a job there and became a manager, all that stuff. But, um, you know, saw, saw the 1985 Don post the mask on the shelves and, called my buddy and ended my one year anniversary date to go pick him up to bring him uh, to the store so that uh, we can buy the Don Post mask together and it wasn't too much longer after that she dumped my ass and uh, I uh, I was going to Halloween 6 with the buddy who bought the Don Post mask with me we actually wore our Don Post mask to the theaters and uh, we had two new dates going with us that night and uh, I gotta say man it was um this is back in a time, 1995. There, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of internet time back then, and it was, uh, you know, in, in order to get news on a movie that's coming out, you had to be subscribed to a uh, to a magazine or just be lucky to be on on the television 
when a new trailer would come out or go to a theater and see a trailer and you're going, oh my God, they're, they're, they're making a new whatever movie or they're, you know, so there, there wasn't all this like news and stuff dropping tomorrow at 11 o'clock. There wasn't, there was none of that stuff. So I was on the, no. I was on the phone doing a Spanish homework assignment. You know, I was obloing. Um, and all of a sudden I heard Donald Pleasance's voice and I turned and looked, I saw the mass spin around in that one little teaser clip, uh, with the fire coming through the eye holes. And then it said, Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. And I was like, holy shit, they're doing a new Halloween. Cause at that point it had been six years. Um, nobody knew if they were ever going to do another one. It was just, everything was up in the air. So to see that. I was absolutely going, holy fuck. I cannot believe they're doing a new Halloween film. And I literally, I waited for a week, uh, recorded that station while I was at school. And when I got home doing my homework, I would sit there and I would fast forward through the shows that were on to get to the commercials to see if I could catch another glimpse of Halloween 6. And it took me about a week, but yeah, I finally caught it. Caught another glimpse and they announced September 29th 1995 and man we were off to the races and um, I gotta say man it was uh, it was a pretty surreal moment uh, to to see that for the first time in in, in the mean, theaters I mean I can only imagine the the cheesy 90s uh, trailers in all their glory <laughs> I, I would definitely I wish I was uh, you know a little older back then but that's sick. I'll have to I'll have to post up some of the trailers that that I'm talking about. Um, once this episode drops, I'll actually put it in the probably some of the comments uh, links to some of these trailers because I mean they're still out there. So um, you know, you, YouTube is a good thing. Yeah, I can't believe I've never seen them. I don't know. I, I've I've never even thought about looking up the old uh, Myers trailers. Well, I I'll tell you this. I I know that I I watched a lot of those trailers so many times because uh, I had them on VHS at the time. That by the time Halloween Six got over, but by the way, I saw it four times opening weekend, and I loved it just as much each time. And um, um, but I remember getting to the end of each of those the showings and my buddy and I would, would talk and say, Hey, you know what? That part from the trailer wasn't in the movie. And we didn't know that stuff like that was cut out at the time. You know, we didn't know that stuff. So, um, we're watching all this alternate stuff and we're going, Hey, where's that? And where's, where was this? And, you know, Loomis's, uh, dialogue here was cut, you know? So by the time we saw the movie, we had kind of known kind of where the scenes would be. And we definitely knew that they were missing. So, and it wasn't until a few years later, obviously, we, we knew that the producer's cut was out there and a lot of those scenes were in there. But there's still, um, from everything, you know, getting to know Dan Farrens over the years, apparently there was a lot of shit cut, cut from every single release that's ever been put out there. That That's not even in the producer's cut? It, exactly. And there's a... Uh, on bootleg, there's another cut called the director's cut. And then there's even more stuff that was cut from that um, that is laying in a shelf in unused archive footage somewhere. You know, it's 
probably in that same attic that they found the producer's cut to officially put it out on DVD. But how don't they, like, when they make this comprehensive box set, like, include stuff like that? That's the stuff that you know, I know all of us, like, diehard fans would kill to see. Yeah, yeah, it, especially, uh, did you ever see the Entertainment Tonight uh, special that they did on it? No. I'll have to link you, man. It's, uh, <laughs> like I said, there's the, YouTube is your friend, you know, so... yeah. Uh, if you just type in Halloween six behind the scenes on uh, YouTube, uh, you're going to get a lot of really cool stuff. Have you seen the director's cut version or whatever? Yeah, I, I have it. I have it on on bootleg like uh, they, they came out like back back in the day uh, when I was selling masks on I offer, like when I first started uh, back in mm. 2010, uh, I offer was a notorious bootleg site. So. Um, I typed in Halloween six just to see what would come up on there. And they had announced this five disc, uh, set and I'm going, what the hell, you know, five discs, like what, what, what all could possibly be on that? I mean, there's the producer's cut, but what else is out there? But they had the producer's cut. They had the, the, the work print cut that, um, literally if you thought that the producer's cut was unfinished, this was really unfinished. Uh, then you had the director's cut. Then you had um, some sort of a alternate theatrical cut. And then you had like a disc of all the special features, like the entertainment tonight, all the trailers. Um, there was like 45 minutes of camcorder footage shot on Dan Farron's camcorder um, that, uh, that was put on that DVD. That's crazy. It makes you think of like who who compiled that stuff to, to release it like that. I don't know. You know, it had to have been someone with some decent access. Cause I, I had the, the really like crappy, um, bootleg of, of the producers cut back in the early two thousands. And like, that was like my pride and joy. Cause it was, you know, it was before YouTube and stuff. So that was like the only way you could see it. So I'd always tell all my friends, yeah, I got this super secret exclusive, you know, uh, version of the movie that that note that only a handful of people own meanwhile it was probably it was so widely circulated there was probably thousands of people who had it but like i think in the description it said like oh like only a few made so i thought i was like part of this elite group of collectors who had this like super secret version oh yeah man i absolutely i i remember um back in the aol days and i i met this guy uh i don't remember i don't remember his last name but i i know his name was mike uh, but he lived up in East Pennsylvania and he um, we became friends through like, I think the back talk message board way back in the late 90s. Uh, it was 1998. Uh, it was about a month before H2O came out. Actually, he um, he and I were chatting. And he goes, I got the producer's cut of Halloween six. Do you want it? And I was like, what's the producer's cut? And then that's when I came up to speed and what was going on. He actually mailed me a copy of it, and uh, I sat down and watched it, and I'm like, this is like watching a brand new movie completely. Oh, yeah, completely different. Yeah, and um, it, it was really shit quality, and I couldn't see half the stuff that was going on, but I'm like, hey, you know, it sounds like that's something pretty interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it it was really nice to finally get an official release in, in 2014, and Dan Farron's really pushed hard to get that put out there. 
Oh yeah, I'll never forget like when I was just re- I would research all the time. Like every few months, I would Google it to see if there was anything going on because they always said it would be impossible to get like a comprehensive box set because of all the different you know companies and stuff involved. And then when I actually like saw that and like my jaw hit the floor that they were even doing, you know, I already owned all the, like every version of all the movies, but the fact that they were doing a box set, like my jaw hit the floor. And then when I was reading and it said that the producer's cut was involved, I like, I about shit my pants because, um, you know, I, I never really expected it to be official. I always thought it was going to be like this hush hush kind of, you know, thing that you kind of watched on YouTube and to actually see it for the first time was like watching it all over again because you could actually like they upped the quality so it wasn't like this grainy crappy vhs quality like thing with the numbers at the bottom and all that so it was like it was like a, a fangasm oh yeah it was it was fantastic and it was it was really weird too and i'm not sure if you felt this way but i can only speak for myself on this because i had watched uh the crappy producers cut version for so many years when I was watching the Blu-ray, it was almost like, okay, well, it looks like the theatrical cut, but it's with all the producers' cut scenes. It was kind of weird, you know, to kind of watch it in that high a quality when you've been used to watching it in such shit quality for so many years. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that because I remember watching it and being like, wow, I feel like it was way more different than the original. Like, I, I when I watched it again, I was like, they're more similar than I remembered. Mm-hmm. But I think it was, it was a product of, you know, he always knew what was part of the original and what was producers cut stuff because, you know, it would just cut to crap quality with numbers at the bottom. So I feel like once they kind of stitched it together, I don't know, it, it, it definitely changed the experience of watching it, but it's not necessarily a terrible thing. It was just definitely like different. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can remember I was going to go see Halloween six on Halloween night in 1995 because, uh, down in Florida, you know, we get, um, it seems like every other year there's a very rainy Halloween and that was happening pretty much every year. And, uh, I was going to go see Halloween six with a few friends for the last time in the theaters cause it came out September 29th. So it was like already starting to get long in the tooth, even for, you know, back in 95 when things seemed like they were lasting longer. Uh, there were some of these uh, re-releases and slow burns and things took a little longer, you know, to exit the theaters and there wasn't as many movies coming out back then. But um, I remember going to the theater because again, I couldn't look it up on my smartphone to see what the, see what the show times were. And during the middle of the week, good luck in your local paper being able to get show times on on your favorite movies. So we got to the theater and saw that it was no longer in theaters and we were like, oh, shit, you know. So uh, it started a quest like countdown to the VHS release and several, several, several months went by and there was no news, no nothing and I forget where I heard it or somebody may have just been fucking with me. I have no idea. But someone said, yeah, I heard news in one of the horror magazines that they're having a hard time getting the rights to release Halloween 6 in home video. And I said, this is bullshit, you know. And we found out that uh, Buena Vista 
kind of owned the rights to the distribution of it because they were a division of Miramax, which owned Dimension Films. So I remember getting like 30 of my friends, and this is no exaggeration, 30 of my friends to track down um, the Buena Vista number. And we literally, after school, every single day for three months, 30 of us took turns calling Buena Vista and just browbeating the shit out of them every single day until they finally said, it's coming out later this year. Stop calling us. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh not I, I do not believe we had anything to do with the release. I just think they were finally tired of getting the phone calls and they, they knew us by after the first week because there would always be one of us that would call and play the Halloween soundtrack in the background. <laughs> and we would have the phone right up to the speaker and then say, yeah, it's us again. Uh, any news on Halloween six? And, uh, <laughs> I remember, um, that summer, like uh, of '96, uh, a friend of mine worked was a manager at a um, a video store, and I said, "Hey, any news on Halloween Six coming out?" And he pulls out the screener copy that only the video stores got back then. He goes, "You mean this Halloween Six? And I said, "Holy <laughs> shit!" You know he he let he let me have it. And we all scheduled a uh, a watch, and every couple of minutes you'd have that ticker tape uh, thing at the bottom that says this is for demo only, not for resell. If if you received a copy, please call one eight hundred whatever ever. You know, it's like it's basically like the you know uh, the FBI warning type thing. So. But yeah, July ninety ninety six. It was a party because you know we were all watching Halloween six on uh, my buddy's fifty two inch uh, big ass big screen that was as thick as it was tall back then. It was from the floor to yeah. uh, about as tall as you were about at that time. That's great. I mean, that's a hell of a story because you know you, you kind of need passionate fans like that to because sometimes they you know they drag their ass, but. That's amazing. So you can, you know, you probably didn't have anything to do with it, but you can kind of take a little bit of credit for uh, getting that out there. I got to be careful taking too much credit on anything because people are like, oh, look, listen to him. He's taking credit for something. I'm like, no, I'm just, (laughs) it's called tongue in cheek, dumbass. You know, get, understand, you know, it's, it's, it's entertainment. It's a show. (laughs) But yeah, it was, uh, it was good stuff, man. So, um, we're going to kind of, you know, that's kind of the groundwork on, on Halloween 6. You know, we can cover all the production problems. We can cover it, the actual movie in long form itself at some point. But today it's all about, since we've already kind of lightly laid the groundwork, uh, today is all about the Halloween 6 mask. And uh, you and I seem to know quite a bit about it. And um, you did some you did some research on, on some stuff. And uh, what did you find out? Uh-oh. With the uh, well, the the hero, like the actual screen use masks, they were uh, yeah. Let, let me stop. Let, by let, let me stop you there. For those that don't know the term hero, what is the hero? It's the the masks that were actually used on screen during filming. Correct. What do we have for him, Johnny? <laughs> 
Well, funny, because Johnny, Carl Buchler, is the one that actually sculpted the mask. Um, but uh, it, it, it was, there was, I know there was a lot of controversy around the film because of the, uh, you know, the fact that it was the first like, major production company to tackle a Halloween film. Um, but John Carl Buchler sculpted the, the, look, the, the mask, which gave us a look you know, that really, I feel like, got back to the evil of Michael Myers. But um, I know during production, there's the, uh, the infamous story of the uh, disgruntled FX artist who was pissed off and decided to rub chemicals on the masks and destroy them. And I don't, I, we'll get I've, there. I've always heard kind of, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, uh, back up, back up uh, real quick. Um, do you know the, do you know what, what John Carl Beekler, what his direction what he was given for what look that they were trying to achieve and why he came up with the look he did? I, I, I've, I heard that it was, you know, supposed to take on a kind of goblin esque look. I don't know if you have more information with that. Yeah, actually, Malik Akkad handed him the cover, the poster cover of Halloween Four, and said, "We want something like this, but we can't, we can't use it to its full likeness because of Shatner's people." Um, yeah. So, you know, they had licensing. Uh, where they could use the likeness on print materials and things of, of that nature. That was the settlement. Uh, but when it came to the actual presence of Michael moving on screen, that could never be seen again. So, um, yeah, they said, you know, make it look reminiscent of this, but don't copy it 100% because we could have our ass sued. And so, yeah. lo and behold, we got what we got. Yeah, which is, you know, in my opinion, the best sequel mask. But um, yeah, so with the with the production, they uh, they they had to do the reshoots. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they used different molds for the reshoots, right? Um, well, what happened was you kind of touched on it. You kind of hit it. And uh, what actually happened was is they used the the term hero. They used the hero um, pretty much all the way through the original shot of the producer's cut, which would become the producer's cut. Um, when Miramax ordered all the reshoots to go back and to do the theatrical cut, there was some people that were pissed off that they had to come back and shoot. And they only had one mold to, to shoot, to use. And they had the, they had the hero but what they ended up doing was they poured the chemicals all over that and all over the stunt masks that ended up warping them and changing the look. So um, that's kind of what happened with uh, that's why in the theatrical cut, the mask looks different and a little bit more haggard than it did in the producer's cut. Well, I mean, the the hero would have looked kind of silly on a Michael Lerner considering it was it was like 27 inches right like it was something absurd because george p wilbur has a fat head yep but that i i mean i have a big head and 27 inches would dwarf my head and i've met a michael lerner and you know he's got kind of more that castle shaped like oval head so i feel like they probably would have had to do a new mold anyway because that would have looked ridiculous on him correct yep and uh the original hero, it, it was pretty thin, and the um, there was no slit up the back. 
and it was just uh, straight yeah. all the way across. And that's you can kind of see it in the behind the scenes shot when they're putting the mask on George Wilbur, uh, where there's literally there's no flare to it. it. They just literally they just popped it right over the top of his head. It always looks like almost helmet esque, so I guess that kind of makes sense how that it doesn't have a slit. But I, I actually I did not know that and couldn't find that on the internet. So. There's uh, some things you can't read uh, fine on your own. It's all right. You know, when, what you can't read, I have it right up here in the head. So it's all good. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> all right. So uh, what else you got? Um, well, as far as the the production, that's that's what I got. I know, I know a few people that own some of the, uh, some of the actual uh, used masks, mostly the... the reshoot masks and certainly other ones were destroyed i know um i believe nick over at nag has one right yep he has the one uh that had all the chemicals poured all over it and um it's actually the shot in the theatrical cut that everybody there's a gif of it now that i mean we're going to answer a question about it later on about the nose holes but uh Hmm. you know that shot where Tommy says Michael and then he slowly turns and looks and that slow push in uh, in the laboratory towards the end in the theatrical cut uh, that that's the copy he owns. And it I mean, if you ever seen pictures of of what it looks like now, it is in real bad shape and uh, it it looks like it's on its last legs. And uh, I also know Dan Farrens has has one, too. And uh, I got some information. Gorgeous. I got some information on that that I can't release, at least not on the show. Uh, I, I saw pictures of his, and it's like, there's just something about it that I feel like no other replica, obviously, like, you know, that's from the mold, but it's just, I feel like no other replica has captured exactly what that mask has, even though they're cast from movie molds and whatnot, but there's just something that's so grungy and gritty about it that I just feel like nothing is captured. And I'm like, Oh, I would kill to get the, to own a mask like that. Yeah. It's, it's really funny because uh, going through and listening to some of the questions and of course, you know, being in it for so many years and hearing so many stuff, so much stuff. I think uh, another part of the lure of this particular sequel mask is because much like the film, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of backstory and controversy, you know, just just about the mask alone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the when I was barely even in the mask hobby, you know, you pretty much all you would hear about is is the the damage to the mask and how they had to remold it and all this stuff. And I feel like that alone kind of adds to the lore because there really isn't many surviving, you know, hero masks. As you said, Nick has that one, but. It, it looks terrible and like beat to hell. So it's, I feel like that also kind of adds to the allure of the mask. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah. The mythology behind it kind of thing. Yep, absolutely. All right. So, you know, we, we've kind of talked about different replicas and different things. So, uh, you know, what, uh, what copies, you know, did, did you hear the most that most people want to know about and which ones are we going to discuss today? Um, I know a lot of people were curious about the Alex Sanchez and I am too, because the, the reports kind of seem to differ on it. I, I, I found different sources saying different things. So I definitely would love for you to clarify it because, 
you know, the internet is not the most credible place. And depending on whose opinion is being stated, it says different things. So I'm definitely curious about the Alex Sanchez. It's a Halloween six mask. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I know I, I, I read somewhere that he, he did some work for John Carl Buechler and, so they gave him an unused H6 blank and then he used that as the base mold. But then there's some people that say he recast it from someone else. So I, I just kind of a little bit of a, he said, she said, all right. So I don't know if the story of him working with them and was given a copy. I don't know if any of that's true and I'm not going to insinuate that that is false. All I can tell you is from someone that has, uh, painted and rehaired and worked on a few of them and has also worked on uh, a lot of the Night Owl H6s, which I know we'll, I know we'll cover. Uh, these, kind of, these kind of cross each other, in a sense, is... I'm going to have to be careful how I say this because pe- people are going to hear what they want to hear and not understand what I'm trying to say. There's very identifying marks on the Night Owl and on the Alex Sanchez that are duplicated to a T. To the point where I'm thinking, and this is my opinion, um... I know we're probably not going to cover this today, but you know this this kind of leads right into the story. Is I also have redone the Gasly Productions H6, which was Justin gave him a mold to produce directly mm-hmm. from the Night Owl, um, like he was supposed to do for me, but he never he never held up his end of the deal, even though he made me look like a total asshole to all of my clients for shutting down the Night Stalker and told me to, that I had to lie about it anyway. Now that I got that out, um, the Ghastly Productions, the Alex Sanchez, and the Night Owl all have the same identifying marks that no other H6 mask out there in the replica field has. So did Night Owl get his from the from Alex Sanchez and he was allowed to produce them who then passed it on to Tommy at Ghastly Productions? Or did Night Owl get... Um, a casting or a recast of a blank or whatever and pass a mold like he did to Tommy Pickering, pass a mold over to Alex Sanchez. Uh, I will never know, but uh, if I, if, if I were a betting man, I would bet thousands upon thousands of dollars, even thousands of dollars. I don't have that. They all originated from the same source and they shared it privately. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask. Could it could it have just been that they casted theirs off the same copy? That, yep. Which translate that. Yeah. Yep. I I think one of them got it first, and then they decided um, to either do a share, a market share, or whatever behind the scenes, and said, "Hey, we're going to keep this hush hush. We're not going to tell anybody." Um, I can tell you this: what leads, and again. All this is my speculation and my opinion, okay? So this is not your opinion. This is not anybody else's opinion. This is Chris Morgan's opinion. Um, It's funny that there's a certain moderator that will 
remain nameless. Kaizu, I'm sorry, I, it <laughs> slipped. Kaizu is such a night owl nut hugger that he'll gulp the cum literally out of Justin's nuts every chance he gets <laughs> and will not swing from anybody else's nuts. But he was behind the scenes pushing that Alex Sanchez on everybody who would listen when that thing was coming out. So I'm going, there's got to be a reason that he was pushing that so hard when he's getting all of his masks for free from his buddy over at Night Owl Productions. There's, there was, that just lended so much credibility, at least in my eyes, as to what was really going on there. Yeah, like they had some sort of financial agreement based on how many he sold to, stuff like that. Yep, because, I mean, I've known this from the early 2000s. Like, again, I've been around 20 years. But I've known this from the early 2000s. Justin doesn't really play nice with others. You know, so for for him to go out and uh, not have an issue with Kaizu pushing somebody else's six when he was still actively making his six, it seems a little fishy to me. Yeah, that definitely... Uh definitely raises some eyebrows not you know not pointing fingers or anything (laughs) no i mean i have no proof i have no way to prove it i'm just telling you i've worked on the ghastly i've worked on the alex sanchez i've worked on the night owl they all have the same identifying marks that you know that can only come from a same casting and the fact that justin's boyfriend was pushing his shit as hard as he could turns right around and is completely endorsing Alex Sanchez. It just, to me, it makes no sense. That's my opinion. Uh, yeah. To, through, when I was researching it, I, I found something that kind of, I guess, correlated that. They said that the, the Night Owl 6 is was cast from a, uh, a production mass blank. And they kind of said the same thing for the Alex Sanchez. So that very well could be. And they look similar. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So there's actually at the top of uh, three quarters of the way up on the crown, and you can only see this if you're working on a blank or you take the hair off to repaint it and rehair. Um, there's actually a little marking up on like where the two-piece mold was. Um, it's the two-piece mold line where mm-hmm. on the Ghastly Night Owl and Alex Sanchez, it's all three identical. To me, that was the smoking gun. Yeah, that if they were, you know, different at all, they probably wouldn't have all the same like little flaws and exactly, you know, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And there's probably some asshole listening to this right now that's been tipped off and like, well, that you know, that's uh, the same story that Chris got caught, you know, recasting a customer H six. Let me back up and just restate this. I did another podcast that told that entire story. What happened? And we all know that the person who framed me into starting that smear campaign photoshopped every picture to make it look identical to those identical markings. He had that that mask in question in his hands, so it's very easy for him to take multiple angle pictures, and, and he was a Photoshop whiz. So um, that's what happened with that. So moving on. If anybody wants to hear that story, go... Vote for it on a on a throwback Thursday one time. 
Yeah, the Throwback Thursdays are definitely going to be interesting. I know I listen to all those, so those are definitely uh, easy easy listens. Uh, sure. But moving on. Sure. Yep. Um, so kind of in hand with the, the Night Owl 6, uh, the, the CGP, I know I read when I was researching that that was recast off of the Night Owl H6, and then it, it was enlarged. Which which CGPH six are we talking about? The, the the version point zero, like the first one. Okay, um, the original CGPH six um, from everything I saw and heard, and I'm not going to name names, is that actually came off of an SSN curse. He and Sean. Uh, were I don't know if they still are, but were buddies for a long time. So um, I know for a fact that the version, the V.0, basically, CGP H6, was a uh, casting of one of Sean's. Um, I'm in, I believe um, it, it's a curse. And there's uh, early shots of that in one of the galleries that actually back up my theory on that. Um, but the V one, uh, well, let me back up the, the proto, I guess you could call it. Um, it was a 23 inch size. So, I mean, that lends a lot of, to the credibility of, he casted one of those. Um, yeah. When, when I was reading it, it said they were say, trying to say it was a, an enlarged night owl six. Um, it wasn't that one. It, 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 there was no way. I mean, he never enlarged that one. That one was that one was ti- that one was tiny. So mm-hmm. then we got into the to the V one. That was the official release. Now that one could have been uh, a night owl uh, because now the V one. We'll, we'll cover the V two in a minute, which is also the reigning red, but. Um, the V1 was a 23 and a half inch to 24 inch. And um, that ended up becoming a retooled uh, version later on after I got the V2 from CGP. The V1 came back in the form of The Damned uh, back in 2011. He sold that version for quite a while. Um and then just recently he retooled it again and he's still calling it the damned. It just looks a little different. So, um, that, that's the evolution of the V ones. Uh, there was three different V ones. Basically you had the original, then you had the 2011, the damned that came out. And then you had the 2018 version of the damned. So that's all from the V one source that, from what I, from my understanding, now that one was a night owl derivative. So, so which one, which one was the one that he had? I know he had one that was like twenty five inches. That's the one I own. That's the V two, which is the reigning red. Okay. Now, because right, so many different versions of the same mask, it's kind of <laughs> end up like staring at the computer screen, like what the fuck am I even reading at this point? <laughs> yeah, and if you look at the V two slash reigning red, it I mean, yes, it was bigger, but there's some there's some features that identify it as an H six mask, but there's if you really look at it, I mean, there's 
I guess it could have been retooled, but it just doesn't look like a night owl to me. Mm. I would, I mean, it's got some similarities, but I don't, it doesn't look like a direct cast. But also, my opinion. but also it's an H six mask. I mean, they all kind of look similar yeah. <laughs> because they're the same. Yeah. Uh, they're all from the same source too. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're but, all virtually movie molds. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, could could there have been some de- derivatives there? I mean, I know that I know that he was a uh, he p- pronouns pal um, that uh, Justin was handing out molds uh, to to Tommy Pickering. You know, he had offered me one. I know he was uh, working with Terry on a lot of the Nightmare Man 78s and different things like they were partnered up there for a little while. It. Could it have been a situation where he gave Terry a mold and said, hey, you could produce this, you can do what you want with it, and then when they didn't get along anymore, all of a sudden now he creates this backstory of Terry recasted my H6. I can see that 100% because he's done it many times. So the evidence is there to support my theory on what actually happened there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of he said, she said in this uh, in this hobby, unfortunately. Um, all right, so then we'll we'll move on to the the SSN, which is uh, the Silver Champagne Novelties. They had, uh, I believe, three different run uh, runs of H six masks. Uh, the first was the the Curse, I believe. Um, Correct. Which was created using the screen use mold, uh, but it was it was rare, right? I, I don't think there was a whole lot made. No, it it actually um, it was only sold for about a year, and there wasn't a ton of copies. I know initially I had the number ten, um, and I know as soon as it was released, I mean, I think he had several friends that he had promised spots to, and I was like, I was like the first of the major public getting one, and I was I was the number ten, and there was like. Back then, he had a message. He pronouns again. Uh, Sean Clark had a message board with uh, Halloween Flash, which his real name is Brian Raymond, who actually worked for Trankus for a little while under Malika Cod. But uh, uh, yeah, there was a message board back then called uh, it was creepyshit dot com. Um, this is well before My- Myers Net. Uh, but then there was creepy shit, and then it turned into the Great Mass Debate Forum. But um, Sean was selling them exclusively through Creepy Shit, and all of his moderators had copies. And it was a big form. You got to think, forms were the thing back in 2001, and that's when the curse came out. Was 2001, and uh, I had the early run. I had I had the number ten. I had it for about a month, and the whole thing turned like a bright orange. Uh, after a month really? of, un- oh yeah, after a month. And I remember going on that message board. This is 2001. Um, I posted in the, uh, on, on the board, Hey, my mask is turning orange. Uh, what do I do? You know, just, <laughs> you know, just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anybody there. I just know that that's where, <laughs> that's where I bought the mask. So I figure he's not responding to emails. I figure I would just post it here. Maybe somebody can tell me something I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Sean comes back with a smart ass response and says, 
that's your mask uh, telling you to take me out more often and play with me. Uh, that's why he's turning orange. He never gave me a full answer. That's and weird. <laughs> it was very weird. And it's like, okay, I had uh, David Pope at Boogeyman Mass. You know, I've talked to him. I've talked about him on other episodes. Um, I asked him, he says, I don't know. He goes, but I, I have a cleaner that I might be able to take some of the orange off. I sent it to him. He got all the orange off, sent it back to me. Didn't even charge me for it. Um, didn't take any of the weathering off. All the weathering was done underneath. It was like an under, it was like an undertone weathering and the mask itself was actually pretty white. Um, with only scrubbed, uh, brown eyebrows and the uh, the inside of the eye sockets were jet black. Um and then um I remember never looking at that particular copy the same ever again because um I was like, well, it's been even though it really wasn't altered, it's like whatever that whatever it was that made it turn orange was cleaned off, but to me it was still altered. So it it never held that same sentimental value that it once did. So uh, when I moved to Orlando in 2003, so two years had passed, on eBay, early days of eBay, there was a, there was a curse mask for sale on eBay. Buy it now. $50. What? Yeah. The hair looked like shit. Uh, it looked like it had been rehaired with almost like Ben Tramer hair, but the but the paint job was immaculate. And I'm like, even for fifty bucks, even if I turn around get this thing rehaired and sell it, I'm still going to make money. Oh yeah, that's giving it away at fifty dollars. So I I bought it now, no questions asked. Then I hit up David Pope and I said, Hey David. Would would you hair this thing if I if I got some you know I if I got some of the the real fur hair that they used on the film mask, and this is back when that stuff was readily available. Like Tom Tom Smith at at Morningside sent me a shit ton of it way back back in oh one oh two, because um, I was looking at possibly rehairing some things. So he he sent me a bunch of stuff when I got the mask and I looked at the two paint jobs. I said, holy shit, this one. The fifty dollar one beats out my number ten copy, and I don't know if this is the same artist that did both masks, but it looked uh, ten times better. So I said, for fifty bucks, this is a steal. I bought my curse mask brand new for three hundred and twenty five dollars. That that was the going rate back then. I turned right around in two thousand three. My number ten sold it for close to five hundred bucks. So I made money on it. I had already made money on the other one. David had that thing rehaired and back to me within two weeks. I got that thing back and I held on to that until 2008. I still have pictures. I'll have to send them to you. Held on to that mm-hmm. until 2008 and sold it for almost 900 bucks. Wow. And until I obtained oh, the mold, I had yearned and missed that copy and wish I had never sold it. Wow. Well, now you can kind of make your own, but <laughs> true. Yeah, <The>, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the 
the next one that they made was the the six, I believe, which S-I-X. they kind of yep, yeah, they they kind of did uh, a few of them before transitioning it and slapping the signature on it, and then it was the GPW, right? Correct. Uh, so, but they apparently the GPW had a like a, a deluxe paint job and signed a numbered COA. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, to to be honest, it, it's so weird because again, I just told the story about the about two two curse masks coming from the same company that looked like night and day difference. Like they didn't even look like the same mask. And back then, no artist did customizations. Like nobody did that back then. You know, like mm-hmm. what you got is what you got. And hey, my copy looks good. Great. Okay. Great. You you want to swap? I like your copy better. There was none of this. Hey, I'm going to send it to a specialized artist and have it overhauled. I mean, now you can do that dime dime a dozen. It happens all the time. But back in 2001, 2002, 2003, that was kind of an uncharted territory. Like it didn't happen. So, um, but all of their different versions, you know, it varied from copy to copy. But what I will say, and, and, and believe me, this is this is going somewhere, is. I've seen some six copies, SIX, not just the number six, the SSN six look similar to the George P. Wilbur, and I've seen the George P. Wilbur painted that looked worse than some of the worst copies of the six painted. So again, I don't know if they changed different artists around or if Darren was the Darren Roberts was the main painter all the way through. I have no idea, but it was it was so odd to me that the styles and the different looks and the the copies just varied from copy to copy and from mold to mold. It just it never looked like the same artist did it. Yeah, I've I've seen a bunch of different copies and they're kind of all over the place. I saw when like someone you know, tells me they got a new SSN mask. I'm always like, oh, let me see it before. I'm like, nice. Because it's kind of, you know, it's, it's like Russian roulette. Sometimes you get a, a kick-ass copy and sometimes it's, you know, looks like a, you know, a, I don't want to insult anyone, but like a, a little kid kind of got to it. Um, but why? I know every single SSN H6 I've seen that is still original today, they're all yellow. Now, could you? I, I just wonder what causes that. Uh, it's yeah. It's um, you know, acrylic sealers now nowadays or um, enamel sealers nowadays. They have UV protection in them, and you know, like the stuff of today is no. It it's not anything like the the acrylic sealers of twenty years ago. Um, and that's why so many of the CGPs yellowed over time. You know, you don't hear of Terry's work in the last seven or eight years yellowing at all. But everything from mm-hmm. 2002 to when he came back, um, all yellowed over time. So it has something to do with the acrylic sealer and the lack of UV protection in it that actually starts to take a a white and turn it this orangish yellow maroon brown pile of shit basically <laughs> and 
you can get it off. It's just sometimes it's just. I mean, if if you really if you really want to get it off, you can get it off, but it's going to take a lot of elbow grease, and you may take off some of the paint with it that you're going to have to touch up. So you may just yeah. want to bite the bullet and just repaint the whole thing. Um, but I've also seen like I I've been I've gotten yellow off of a five before that had yellowed really bad that I didn't have to repaint. The paint didn't come off with it. But then there's been other, like just recently this, the six that I overhauled for uh, Brandon Gregory, another Brandon. Um, yeah. His, when I was, cause you know, you got to strip that thing down clean so that the paint, the new paint that you're putting on over the top of the old paint is going to bite. Uh, otherwise, the thing's just going to peel right up, just just just, just like a banana, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it's going to do so at an alarming rate. So there's, unless you really get it to, down to the fiber, so it bites into the latex, uh, you got to scrub that thing clean. And I I remember before I stripped it, I just I just rubbed a lot of the acrylic sealer off of it. And I was pulling some of the eyebrow paint and some of the nose paint and the under the chin paint off. So I was like, well, even if I was just only going to clean this thing, because this these areas are so brittle, I was going to have to repaint it anyway if I wanted to or, or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to, to answer your question, I didn't mean to go off on the weeds on that, but... Uh, to answer your question, it it is the old school acrylic sealer that has gotten better over time. Okay, because I was I always wondered. I didn't know if it was with like the the quality of paint or whatever, but that definitely makes a lot more sense. But going back to that six you made, I mean, when I saw that you showed me the before and the after, I mean, I was like floored because it you know it gave it whole new life compared to where it was. Yeah, and. Um, Thank, thank you, by the way. Um, I um, all I really did was is I just said, "Hey, I'm going to finish this like like the George P. Wilbers that that I finish." And uh, he said, "Yeah, no, that that sounds fine. You know, you have total 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 free reign. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get in your way." And uh, whenever somebody tells me something like that on a six, I I pretty much. I'm not patting myself on the back here because, hey, there's some people they may not like my style. That's fine. But I think, you know, when you can look at it and say, this is where it was, and if you just leave him alone and let him do his thing, he's going to make it look 100 times better than what it was when it was a yellow mustard mask, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, it looks like a, like a Simpson uh, mask. Yeah, I mean, and I I painted it pretty similar to how I painted the George P. Wilbur that you own. Yeah, which is I, I, the one mask in my in my collection where I feel like it's impossible to take a bad picture of it. I call it the most handsome mask in my uh, in my collection because no matter what angle, no matter what camera you use, it's just like it always just looks so damn handsome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it. It is, and it's like I I think if you look at Brandon Gregory's mask, and if you look at your George P. Wilbur, you could kind of look at the two and say, okay, yeah, I see why. You know, they they are the same mask. You can see that 
I mean, obviously, um, obviously, since it is, I don't even want to say second generation because that's going to confuse people. It's the only way I know how to explain it. But since it was a re-release or a later release with a George Wilbur stamp on it, and then it was enlarged and all this other stuff, it looks slightly different. But if you look at the fine details, which we're trained to do as fans, you can look at them and say, yes, they are the same mask. Mm-hmm. There's I- there's identifying marks, put it that way. All right. Um, all right, well, we'll move on to the last one, which was the hardest to grab information on because it seemed like a lot of the information was on uh, your old site and it's no longer the servers are down. So WMP H6 mask. The only one I was really able to find any information on was the mayhem. Okay. Um, so I saw that it, you know, it came two sizes and you also had two different packages with it as the, the limited edition and the standard version. Now I know you touched on it earlier about the, um, you're, you're working with Daniel Farron's on, on a mask and, this was the mask with the signature stamp and certificate of authenticity, keychains. Um, now, how how did that all come together exactly? Um, this is actually a really fun story. And um, when when the project started, it, it literally started because um, I had the untamed, I had the inflicted. Um, I had the reigning red and, but everybody's like, you you know, you have all the reshoot looks and that's really what people called the red and the inflicted and the night owl and all this other stuff. They called it the reshoot look. And while everybody referred to the Brad Harden or the SSN, which those come from the same source too. Um, refer to them as the producer cut mask, you know, like the original look. So you had two different looks. And while I had everything on one side, I'm like, well, I want to, I want to have a producer cut mask too, you know? So, uh, (laughs) I had just retired the untamed. And so I said, well, um, this is when, I was starting to figure out, hey, I can get some alginate and I can, uh, I had a buddy named Eric Kumor that lived 45 minutes from me so we could get together and he knew how to do alginate and do life casting, all this other stuff. I'm like, hey, why, why don't, why don't I buy all the supplies? You tell me what I need. We'll put the untamed in clay and, uh, my wife is wanting to take a crack at, sculpting this and she's really she had a lot of fun with uh, retooling the the nemesis to make it look like a warlock which we named the nemlock she had a lot of fun doing that and she was looking for a hobby she's seeing how much fun i'm having she's like hey i'd i'd like to take on that 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 challenge so i said sure no problem it's something that we can sit around and work on together and it, it gives us something to have a hobby working on together. I can learn some things and she was having a good time doing it. So 
we got out the Untamed Master, did the Alginate, everything like that, did the did the clay press. That's how the base started. Um, now, I again, I'm going to be careful of how I say this because if he hears it, I don't want him to think I'm, I'm dogging him because I'm not, but he was a close friend of mine at the time. Jason McNamara, um, Ramon Sum is what he goes by on, on the board still. But Jason McNamara was, was a friend of mine that we met through the H3O production, Gary, Gary Monger message boards. And, you know, we, we, we became friends. He had reached out to me actually. And he said, Hey, if you ever want some reference pictures of my Brad, of my original Brad Harden mask, let me know. I can take a bunch of pictures for you since you're trying to recreate that look. So I said, well, what would it take for you to send it to me so I can use it side by side to reference it? I mean, because it's good having a 2D image, but if I could have something sitting right on the table next to my wife while she's sculpting it, we could probably get to the finish line a lot faster because we're, we're able to look at a three-dimensional object. So yeah. he agreed. He goes, hey, just, just do me up a, a mass sometime or give me the first copy. I think, yeah, it was, it was the first copy. It was, it was the proto. Just hook me up with the proto when it's done. So initially we had it for um, about five weeks, and I took a shit ton of pictures. Every hair on that mask was unharmed. But over the years, since the narrative is I recast everything, people say that I recast it as copy. I don't see how that's possible when all of his hair on the mask was intact um, and never taken off and never messed with. And it's in every shot, literally, as we're sculpting it stage by stage by stage by stage. So, uh, but we use the Untame as a base. A lot of people are like, well, why didn't you just sculpt it from ground up? You know, be a real artist. Well, we're sculpting an H6 mask. We were in production, full production. We were doing it full time as a business at that time. We're in the replica business. You don't pay me to get close you, or to get in the ballpark. You pay me to make an exact replica of what you want. So that not a real artist, shove it up your ass. You know, so um, if you want original art, Go go sculpt a mummy or whatever the fuck you want to sculpt, you know. But if you're in a replica field, you're gonna you're going to start with the easiest way possible. So the untamed that we uh, were producing from Bill Miller uh, was actually an H6 mask, and we're like, hey, we've already got the H6 part of it. We got all the features in there. We just need to change it to make them a little smoother, a little wider, a little rounder, a little squintier, you know, because of the overall look of the hard. I, I call it the hardened look or the producer's cut look. So we did that and um, we got we got it done. Uh, we started it January 14th, 2011. I'll never forget that day. Um, but by April of 2011, we were pretty much ready to mold it. And Jason had had his mask back, you know, uh, we had posted a ton of pictures, people that listened to this that were around during that time, 
documented it all uh, all on our old message board um people were following following along uh for four months and um you know four, four months working nights and weekends to try and get this thing dialed in to to where we could felt good enough to put it out so we get um we do the two piece mold and we go to open the damn thing up and I don't know what the hell happened, but something happened in the molding process that caused all kinds of problems with the mold that it was unusable. Now we have an issue where we have a fucked up sculpt and a fucked up mold because when we're prying the two piece mold apart, the ears got pulled off. You know, this got pulled off. You know, the nose was half gone. So because the mold was unusable, guess what we had to do? You had to redo the whole thing. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh. from April, April until about late July of 2011, we're fixing all these, all these problems. Then we go to mold this one. And I was out of UltraCal. I don't know if there was an UltraCal shortage, but my supply shop that's an hour away from me, uh, they were out. But we had to get this thing done. We were going on uh, vacation. We were going to be away from our house for like two weeks. So we're like, okay. I know how I, I talked to Sam McCain, you know, I said, Sam, I need some help. I'm, I'm in a pinch. And he's like, well, all, all ultra Cal is, is, you know, three parts, pottery plaster, one part Portland cement. He goes, I haven't used ultra Cal in years. He goes, if you use that mixture, he goes, you're basically, you have ultra Cal. So I went out to a local pottery shop that was in town at the time. Bought a 50-pound bag of pottery plaster, grabbed some Portland cement, did the three-to-one mix, and uh, went to go demold this, and it was brittle, brittle as fuck. Started breaking, chipping, breaking away. But we were able to get it apart um, and realize that... The mold's usable. We got to get a master. We got the master done. Had a horrible seam line on it because we weren't good at the two-piece at the time. So I'm like, we'll just dremel this off and we'll start making copy molds. Well, just like the Untamed, it was on the smaller side, so I knew that we had to enlarge it. You know, I've talked to you about the process before. Yeah. Um, but when we enlarged it, the detail of that she put in didn't look right. And even she said, it doesn't look right. You know, she's like, y you can see all of my tool marks, even though on the, on the original sculpt, it, it, it didn't show up. So she wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with it. And it was nothing that she did. It was just like, eh, for, for as long as it's been going on, this isn't the mask to release. So by this point, because of the two resculpts and sitting with your arm up in the air for eight hours a day, she had she had fucked up a muscle in her shoulder to where she just 
she physically she couldn't do it anymore and she's like look i've done it twice because of the problems after the first time she's like and now i got a shoulder injury and i just don't think i have the creative artistic drive in me to pick, go back for a third time <laughs> to fix this thing so i said okay so what i did was i took the i took the enlargement uh made the master and I alginated up that copy and did a clay pour and handed it over to a lady I worked with off and on throughout the years. Her name's Amy. And I said, Amy, this is, this is what we're trying to do. And then I reached out to Jason again and I said, Jason, I need to borrow your heart again. And he goes, what the hell, man? What happened? <laughs> so I had to explain the story of what happened. And he goes, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll get it to you. And again, she had it for about a month. She she got all the details that she needed, and she um, kept working on it. By February of 2012, keep in mind this project had been going on for a year. Um, she was close to being done, and about this time is when the JTK was being built, and I was already in talks with uh, Dan Ferens and. Um, Somebody had put out like, hey, it'd be cool if you could get Michael Lerner to do a signature, kind of like what SSN's doing with the George P. Wilbur. I said, first of all, it'd be cool to get Michael Lerner, but he's going to be hard. Back in 2012, it's probably different now. 2012, he was hard to get a hold of. You know, nobody knew where mm -hmm. he was. Even Sean couldn't find him. So... Um, he was off the grid at that point, but I'm like, even if I were to get him, this is the wrong mask to have his signature on because if this is supposed to be a replica of the original cut, he's part of the reshoot. Yeah. This is not going to match. So yeah, makes no sense. absolutely. So at this point I said, well, shit, I'm friends with Dan Farron's on Facebook now. Uh, I'm going to send him a couple pictures of the sculpt and see what he thinks. And so that's kind of how it started. And then I just had this crazy idea. I said, hey, you know, I would like to put your signature stamp on, on one of the masks. What do you think? How much would you charge? And he was like, well, do you just want to send me a batch and I'll sign them? I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to do a stamp. So I just show him the George Wilbur stamp. I'm like, well, I want to do something like this. Put it right into the sculpt for about a, about a month, maybe two of, of her being done. And I just I want to get this embedded into the sculpt. And he goes, well, he goes, I really don't want this a permanent thing. He said, he goes, I, I, he goes, I'd be fine with doing like 10 copies and you pay me X amount per, per copy. And I was like, okay, well, let me see what the, you know, I wanted to gauge the, uh, the community feedback on if that would be a selling point, you know, and a lot of people thought it was cool. Then other people come up, had come up with, uh, doing like a package idea with, you know, uh, oh, it'd be cool if you can get a COA going. And I'm like, hmm, okay, so a limited edition package. That sounds cool because he only wants to do 10 of these. So then I reached out to Frightmare Productions and I said, hey, I want to do a Mayhem 6 Thorns mass stand that I can have with the package. Um, so at this point... My wife, about a year prior to that, had made all these thorn keychains. And so I said, well, we never were able to get rid of these at the conventions we all went to. 
or anything like that. We have 50 of these things laying around. Why don't we just throw those into the package? So we just kept adding stuff to it. Um, Dan Farron sent me a digital copy of his signature, and I had it printed on um, an ink stamp. And I made a mold of that. And uh, because that physical type of rubber doesn't, it doesn't go through uh, UltraCal 30 very well. Um, it gets too hot and mm. kind of shrivels up and melts. So that's not the type of rubber to, to mold with UltraCal. So I actually um, made a silicone mold of it and did my clay pour did a did a run with it just with his signature on the back and then uh when that run was done um the stamp came off and then the regular version came out that's uh i didn't expect it was that much that went into it honestly <laughs> yeah um yeah I was, when i was reading i was like keychains i was like that's like creative but now it makes sense why they uh, they were added in the package. Yeah, um, and and actually, I still have the mold for the keychains. Well, if you ever feel like making a thorn keychain, I could uh, I could throw you a few bucks for one. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's it. I mean they're 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 fun. I mean it's like it's just got the like the, like the little thorn logo on them. I mean I I do them different. Like some people want wanted them gray. Some of them wanted them. Uh, black, you know, like with an orange thorn. Um, some people wanted them gray, like a stone. Um, and then I would just take a little silver pen and then do silver inside where the thorn w- would be, or I would just color in black, wh- whatever, whatever somebody wanted. And then I would seal it up and, you know, you can drill your own little pilot hole in there, add your little chain to it and then call it a day. You know, that's actually pretty sick. The thing, like, that's something that I don't really see anymore nowadays. Is like limited runs of certain masks. Like, I, I would love to see more of that to you know kind of have something to get excited about from a like a collector's standpoint. Like, with these, uh, with with like a limited edition run with something special about it. You know, now you either see a limited run of masks or you just see you know full on production. Yeah, and I I think the reason why is because. Uh mass collecting is not the same as it was even i mean hell we did the we did the mayhem in 2012 was its official 10 run limited edition version release and i mean that it's hard to believe that it was 7 years ago but just 7 years ago um the landscape is not the same anymore you know it's yeah i think those days of the the super high end limited stuff is is pretty rare. I mean, hell, we just had one that came out um, with a new Ken Hartland mask that people were bitching about. The people were bitching about the limited rarity of it and the price tag. So there's reasons why there's not limited runs because hey, there's always going to be somebody that wants them, and if the artist feels that they can make money, um there may be a deal or two on the back end that they don't want coming out. So they just, they end up destroying the mold and the temptation is too great, you know? So, um, I think that there's just a lot of, a lot of that type of stuff. Plus, 
people aren't willing to pay high end for limited run stuff anymore. There's too many people doing it. Well, I mean, I know with Ken's run, he sold out like really quick. I think it was 30, 30 spots, $1,300 a pop. I mean, there's, I think there's still a market there for it. Right. And everybody knows I'm friends with, with Matt Reed. You know, and this is no disrespect to Matt Reed at all, but the but the lure of Ken Hartland goes back to the early two thousands, to the early days. It's not like if Matt Reed came out tomorrow and said, "Hey, I'm going to do a, a a thirteen run limited edition. You're going to get this, 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 and this, and they're going to be X amount of dollars." That the same lure is going to happen. People, people, whether whether they were around for it or whether they weren't, they all know that the KH Rare, the KH uh, Dick Warlock, KHDW, the KH Limited Edition, or SLE. SLE, and then, you know, then, then of course you had the image that was a retool of that, and, you know, so everybody knows the the folklore of what these masks were back in their brand new state and whether you were around or not doesn't matter you you know that there is this crazy history with that guy so it's like oh he's do, he's doing another one and he's never going to do another Myers mask and 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 he's like one of the most enigma based artists out there i've got to get in i don't care what it costs because i'm used to seeing four thousand dollars for a khdw thirteen hundred bucks wow that's a steal it's price conditioning to people not realizing hey it's still thirteen hundred fucking dollars it's still a lot of money but people are so used to seeing his name and four grand attached to it that they're willing to jump in on a brand new run for thirteen hundred yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely guilty of biting the bullet on one. <laughs> but um, what do you think uh, of it, we'll by the way? I've, I've 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 not I haven't seen much of them, so I don't know much about them. In my opinion, it I think it's the best um, H2 mask I've ever seen. To be honest, the the fact that it's not um, like sculpted for like based off a, a you know a 78 some kind of lineage to the original it it baffles me because the details capture it perfectly and honestly like there's only two instances where i've spent that kind of money on a mask and well i guess there's three uh but it just there's something about the aura of it and the fact that it it has the hero hair in it so it's kind of like the closest thing you could get to owning a piece of the original mask it just i don't know it's it, I think it's a, it's as good as advertised. I think thirteen hundred dollars is a good price for it. He he shaved down a wombat and and haired that thing. That's that's the hero <laughs> hair, isn't it? It's a wombat. <laughs> I I can't tell you if it one hundred percent was from the hero, but I mean, if it's true, that's pretty friggin' badass. It's camel hair, but, right? Uh, well. The the mask isn't hair. It's it's not like like he's saying he used the same hair. He actually got supposedly had a lock of hair from the original hero that Dick Warlock cut off of the hero when he owned it and sent it to Ken to match the hair for the KHDW. 
And um, so he still had that hair from the original actual hero mask from the original Halloween. So supposedly what he did was he he glued um, or glued epoxy some somehow put each like a, a piece of hair from uh, the hero, the original hero into every single uh, KH ultimate. So it's in the, you see like a little spot inside the mask where it's somehow put in. And then it's on the back of the certificate of authenticity too, and highlighted with like UV paint. It's gray pair, isn't it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's super rare, deluxe, ultra supreme, deluxe, limited run, gold camel hair. I don't know. I heard it was from a unicorn or something. I. I get my Sasquatch up, <laughs> Sasquatch hair. It's right off of the off the fucking taint between like right underneath the mat. <laughs> All right. Enough enough about Ken. And if you Ken catch one of those motherfuckers, <laughs> then that makes it the ultra rare taint Sasquatch hair. Then you actually make the mask not out of latex, but out of Sasquatch skin. I'm sculpting one of those fuckers tomorrow. (laughs) I swear to God, if this isn't in clay within the next 24 hours, I'm livid. I think I'm going to wait to the 25th hour. I just want to see how livid you get. All right, all right, let's get let's get back to age six. We're not here to talk about Ken Hurtline or Halloween two or whatever. All right, we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about the reigning red earlier. How it came from a CGP V two master. Um, do, do you want to elaborate on how you got the mold? Or it's it's mohair, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, enough with Ken Hurtline. Enough. We gave him enough airtime. <laughs> Baby camel. Roving. It's actually, it could be a phoenix feather. I don't know. For all for all I know, it could be a, a pube from his balls. I mean, but it sounds cool. <laughs> that's pro- that's probably the the ongoing joke, actually. You th- you think it's a lock from the hero hair, and it's actually out of his ass crack that he didn't wash. And it's got and it's the- great because ironically, you're sticking your face in it, and it's it's in there. So that's right. Hey, because once you've eaten ass, you've always eaten ass. <laughs> All right. So back right. onto the H six, man. Jesus, man. What? Why are you? Why are you getting so sidebarred with Ken Hartland and his ass? Anyway, moving forward, I'm not going to have you back anymore. I mean, it's it's a rough road. It's a rough road. I can't help it. Ken Hartland's ass just so appealing. So do you get in there and go? Do you get in there and do all that? The whole flick, the the whole flick of the tongue, all of it, all of it. Ah, like that. <laughs> Get all up in Did you ass. actually lick your phone? <laughs> no, come on, man. I, I, I have a little bit of 
contact here. I licked the microphone. I didn't lick the phone. Oh, okay. Crazy. Uh, I heard I heard the beep, so I didn't know if you were like going ham on the number six or something. Oh, the beep was because I hit it right in the right spot. Ah, uh, so you're a because pro this, huh? because when you hit the right spot, they will let you know. <laughs> you don't have how to. How do ask. we go from? How do we go from the WMP mayhem to this? <laughs> I just want to know right, what. Raining rain. Anyway, yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, it came from a, uh, a CGP V2 master, and we were kind of touching on it a little earlier. Um, what, what, how did you get them all? Um, the the original, like, how, how I got it, it was it was right around the time all the shit went down with CGP, and I mean, I'm not gonna get into it, but the CGP J Allen situation that still to this day, nobody, nobody knows, but those two guys, what actually happened in that deal. Yeah. So when all this was going down, his, his buddies started up Cripco. I contacted them and said, Hey, are you going? Cause I was still at this point. Uh, like I had the untamed. I hadn't really, put myself out there as somebody that was going to produce masks at all. I was happy just producing the untamed doing this for a season, uh, you know, during Halloween season, just to get extra money to go on a cruise or go on a vacation or whatever. You know, I had, I had a full-time job at the time, you know, I was only looking to do this seasonally, but the one thing about it was, is I always loved, uh, CGP's finishing on on the sixes, and when he was doing them hot and heavy, the the V two, um, I missed out on that run because I was unemployed during that time. So by the time I got employed, was when his his uh, his reputation really soured, and he was pretty much persona non grata at that point and several months had went by i mean several months i mean we're we're way into i i get my job i i get out of debt i got all this stuff i reached out to these guys and i said hey are you guys producing the cgp v2 h6 mask and they said no actually we're not we actually have a production mold that Terry wants to sell. Do you want it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this was in August of 09 by mid September. The mold came in. It was just a plaster mold, uh, much like the, uh, much like the GPW that I got l- this past summer. It was a, it was a, it wasn't a master mold. It was just a production mold that was fairly fresh and what I did was um, I talked with my buddy Tom Smith and, and Bill Miller uh, about, because they had made masters in the past, how would I make a urethane master out of this so I could use this mold and use it and use it and use it and use it. So they told me how to do it. I sealed it up, made the master. And um, from that point, I had never made a plaster mold before, so... I'm 
the the original run of Raining Reds from fall of 2009, how anybody bought one of those fucking things? I've gone back and looked at them. They're not good. <laughs> I mean, the eyes look all bugged and weird, and it's just because I didn't stuff it right, so therefore when the plaster went on because it wasn't stuffed right it i put it on a an iced tea pitcher like just a iced tea pitcher and the handle of the iced tea pitcher was pushing the proper left eye outwards and the other eye was sunk in on the other side and i had no bags in there because i didn't know you know um mm. i was new you know, so i mean those things look like fucking dog shit and i'm like why anybody bought one of those or bought one of those and didn't get it in the mail and open it up and say i want my money back i'm surprised because they're not good and anybody who says hey i just scored a scored a raining red from 2009 i'm going jesus i'll i'll pay you throw the fucker in the trash i'll make you a new one don't 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 post pictures of that. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, it that's how it started, and I produced that for a little while. Then I came out with a quote unquote V two, uh, raining red V two, and all it was was I learned how to stuff a master and mold it. You know, because I I was like, well, I'm calling it the raining red, and if I call it a raining red new mold, people are going to be like, hey, well, what happened to the mold you were using before? Because they don't understand it's the same master. It's just done differently. So it came out with a V2. It looked better. Still wasn't, didn't look identical. Uh, And during that time, maybe I just didn't finish them. I didn't have the same hair. They weren't making that hair anymore. Um, I was trying to to chase the CGP V2 look because that's what was heralded as the most accurate to the, especially to the theatrical cut. So um, I produced those from 2010 to January of 2011. Um, and then Terry, Terry and I started talking and he's like, hey, he goes, I know that you have a production mold. Would you like to buy the actual master? Because if you don't want it, I'm going to sell it. And I'm like, well, shit, yeah, man. I'd, I'd like to have the original source. I don't have to make molds off of a copy master anymore. You know, I can I can produce them from the original urethane copy that you had. If you're going to sell it to somebody else, I'm already producing it. I might as well just buy it from you. So did I end up paying twice for it? Yeah, I did, but who cares? But yeah, I mean, I still have it to this day. It's still in fantastic shape. Um, I recently made a silicone mold for it just to preserve it um, because that master was made in 2006, and here we are in 2019. That thing's not a spring chicken when it comes to uh, age because just like any rubber-based product, uh, latex or urethane or anything like that, the oils from that eventually do dry out and it, they become brittle and they will deteriorate. So now when you made the Wicked Red, you retooled the the master? Correct. So I, I so people are going to hear this story they're going to be like, well, 
you just got done saying that you just siliconed it. Well, yeah, I, I siliconed it with a much better silicone here recently. Back when I retooled, uh, retooled the raining red for the wicked red, I used a fast cure, fast grab silicone that wasn't meant to have a long shelf life. It was meant to do an exact reproduction, but do it in about 90 minutes to two hours so that you can get to whatever project you want to do. And then in about six months that, that mold's going to be useless because it's, it's just a fast cure, uh, silicone. It was Umu, Umu 25 and it has horrible tear strength. Um, it, anybody that's ever used it is like, trying to mix up sludge it's really not a fun silicone to use at all and the stuff i recently used on it was 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 mold max or mold max stroke which is a still a 10 cure based silicone because platinum doesn't go on urethane and vice versa um otherwise it will never cure correctly but 10 cure base silicones if you use a very high quality version it'll last you 10 15 years you know so um the way i looked at it was this thing's already 13 years old if i get 15 years out of the silicone mold i just made great you know if i ever need to make another urethane master in that i can make another urethane master and maybe that thing will last 15 years you know so I looked at it as a as a win win, but back onto your thing. So I just wanted to cover that to kind of make sure that people knew the difference. So to make the wicked red, I I did the fast grab silicone, and uh, I just did I I did it in two pieces. I did the obviously I did the face and then the back half, and then I handed it over to Amy and I told her what I was trying to achieve. I wanted I wanted more of a goblin ear i wanted uh i wanted the enhancement of the cheeks and the v-brow and i wanted more texture because the raining red's kind of a smooth surface mask i wanted pits and i wanted texture to it and i wanted uh this rugged version of it i wanted this to be my ultimate raining red mask basically and there's a lot of people that really like it i i did it first but after with anything, after you work with it, you start to realize what the flaws were. And I got to the point where I'm like, I enjoyed the look of the rating red more than I liked the look of the wicked red. So I retired it. Wow. It just, I don't know. Like, it's no disrespect to anybody that owns them. If you like it, great. But if you're going to ask me my opinion on which I like better, the Raining Red or the Wicked Red, I'm going to choose the Raining Red. I'm going to choose the original all day. Same goes so, with same yeah. goes for the H666, by the way, which is another retool of the Raining Red. So which, which would you say your favorite H6 that you produced was? Uh It's going to be really hard because I have to break them down into eras, you know, really. Um, mm. I think for longevity, I'm going to say the for the raining red because it that mask. I mean, yeah, the the untamed doing them during that 
09 Halloween season was a high that I can't possibly begin to describe. But it was during that same season that I started producing the Raining Red CGP6 that put me on the map and people took notice. So I go back to probably the start of my career. I go back to giving everything I got. I mean, I learned I learned how to paint and I still I've evolved over the years. So by no means am I going back putting myself over, but what what I'm saying is is I learned how to paint on that canvas through the untamed. The untamed led me to the raining red. The raining red led me to everything else that I've learned in the last 10 years. So I will say raining okay. red. All right. Um, are there any, I, I know that was finding your, which, which mask you made was a nightmare. So I don't know if there's any other versions you wanted to touch on. Um, I did the inflicted, the inflicted, um, was also done by Bill Miller. It came out in 2011. And it was basically, that one was to take the place of uh, The Untamed, which I had just re- retired. And it actually came from the same source. And it was the same sculptor, same source. Um, it didn't last very long. It just, it was a decent mask. And there's some people out there that that'll send me pictures of a copy that they just got and would I like to redo some of them? Sure. Um, probably one of the best copies I can honestly say that I've seen out there. Uh, if you know who this guy is, you'll know who I'm talking about and his type of pictures is uh, Jeff Cochran, Wicked Beard. Okay. Uh, he, he does a lot of cosplay and a lot of different events. He got a 25-inch uh, inflicted and he did some recreation shots that a lot of people said, damn, you know, um, the inflicted came with a longer neck. So I cut his short so that he could do some of the cosplay he did. Otherwise it it wouldn't have worked. And when I did that, it was like, it took that mask to a whole different level. And then of course, you know, we just talked about the mayhem in the different versions. And then you move forward, um, the wicked red and then the H six, 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 which was, uh, another retool of the raining red. And yeah. Um, I've already covered my H my screen, my screen used H six story on a, on another podcast on another episode, which is the fall of WMP on how that whole thing was set up. So I don't even want to cover that. Um, I've already talked about it. Um, Mm. and then last summer I had the opportunity to get the SSN curse and George PW or George P. Wilbur. Which I own, I own both of them can safely say those are the only two masks I've never even considered trading or, or selling because it's, in my opinion, it just doesn't get better than the two of those, especially with the the finish and the hair work you do. It's it's as close to owning a a screen used mask as I could possibly get. 
Uh, that means a lot, man. I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, any other any other masks or where are we at? Uh, no, I know we had uh, I know we had a few questions, um, a bunch of voicemails this week. Okay, so how do you, how, so, how do you, how do you want to tackle it? Do you want to announce who sent them in? I'll play them and then we can discuss them or what? Yeah, that works. All right, yeah. so who's up first? Uh, we're gonna go with Chad. Chad, Chad who? Morpheus. Morpheus. Yep. Okay. Hey, Chris. Uh, this is Chad. Just gonna leave a question for you uh, about the H six mask. Uh, if you could change one thing about the mask, anything at all, what would it be? Honestly, nothing. I mean, I know that's kind of kind of generic. <clears throat> I I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything about it either because it looks a lot. Like it has a lot of similarities to the original, but I just feel like it looks mean. Like you look at that mask and you're, it, it's intimidating. Whereas I don't think four or five had that, and I really, I don't know if a mask in the franchise has had that since. Where you just you looked at it and you're like, damn, like it it just somehow encapsulated, you know, the the supposed rage and anger. I feel like with with that goblin esque look. So I, I I think it's perfect the way it is. I don't know. It's it's such a hard thing to explain to someone. It's just one of those things that you just that just is. Yeah, it it had that same blank, expressionless any man mask look to it, but it also just looked cold, mean, and ruthless. And you know, you covered the yeah. mean part of it, but yeah, it's like there's just there again. It goes back to what we said towards the beginning. It goes back to there's just this enigma about this mask and about the movie in general. So the mystique makes it even more attractive. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. All right. The the next question was from Tommy signs. Okay. I'm going to fart too. Oh. <laughs> I heard that. Sorry. Hey Chris, Tommy Syme here. Want to thank you for doing this episode, man. Halloween 6 is definitely my favorite in the series and quite possibly my favorite film of all time. Definitely my favorite mask. My entire collection consists of Halloween 6 masks and every time I get one, I just keep getting more and I really don't own any other independently made Myers masks. It's all Halloween 6. My two favorite that I own are The Curse and The Raining Red. I know the story behind the curse, but I was wondering if you could go into detail a little bit about the origin story of the Raining Red. It's definitely one of the top Halloween 6 masks ever made, in my opinion. So I thought I would ask the man himself, because there really isn't any information online that explains the origin story behind it. So have a good one. I love the show. Take care, buddy. All right. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, we... Unfortunately, we kind of we kind of spoiled his question, didn't we? We already kind of covered that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, sorry. Uh, rewind <laughs> about forty five minutes, and we answer your question. <laughs> um, the the next one is from Lawrence May. Yeah. So my question, Chris, is I currently have eleven different H6 masks. Uh, everybody knows how I am. Everybody always says I have like 80 part six masks. And uh, anyway, 
my question is, what may I be missing? I have 10 different makes right now. I have an SSN, George Wilbur, signature mask without the signature. Thanks to you, you helped me figure that one out. Because um, that one was kind of a mystery to me for the longest time. Um, I have an Alex Sanchez. I have the CGP Damned. I have your H666. I have your Wicked Red. I have a Tots that's overhauled by you, and I have a Stock Tots. Um, I have a Hardened Quiet on the Set, H6. Um, your Mayhem. I have uh, James Ferreira's H6. And a Night Owl H6. What am I missing? I know Ghastly Pro did one and Creation X. Can't really think of anybody else. I'm not sure if H30 Productions ever did one. I don't think they did. But what am I missing is my question. All right. So there's two questions here. Um, thank you for sending that in. Um, the first one, I, I'm yeah, there's there's plenty that you don't own. Uh, some of them are worth it. Some of them aren't. Um, I'll get into the hows, whys, and whats here in a minute. But uh, to answer your the, the reason why you don't want to own some of these, and I'll answer that in the part two. But um, what you don't own, I mean, you don't own an inflicted. Uh, you don't own an untamed. Uh, you don't own a CGP V v1 well i guess you sort of do in the damned but the original release you don't own that you own the 2011 cgp damned and i think you own a 2018 that he just got version but he doesn't own the original release from 0405 um yeah um there's a couple of independent sculpts out there that were done that aren't worth owning in my opinion as far as screen accuracy sake but they're 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 good masks but from an independent uh not accurate point point of view you can definitely tell it's a six it's just hitting the lineage i mean i i know that there is the origin uh which i owned a copy of that at one point um that was a ground up independent sculpt in 2002 uh, there's not very many of them out there. I know Michael Aspinwall owns one. He actually bought mine. Um, it was a very small mask, and it just, I don't know, it just wasn't wasn't really well made. It was kind of blocky, kind of square-shaped. And, I, I mean, it was, it was good for it being like a ground-up, no lineage to a, a hero mold. Same thing with all of uh, James Ferrara's H6s. They're all good from the fact that he did it from scratch, and you can definitely tell it's a 6, but there's no direct lineage to the original hero look. So um, anything you want to add to that that, I'm, that I might have left out? Um, the 
the H30 did. Yeah, they, I'm, a, did they I'm about yeah, I'm about to go there. Um, oh, yeah. Again, this is one of those things I need to be real careful of that I don't offend anybody because everybody's offended by anything. So, and Gary, I have no issues with. Just for the record, I'm just stating fact. Um, H3O Productions did two H6 masks. Uh, the first one, called The Thorned, um, came out in 2008, and I know because I own two of them. Um, I'm sad to say that when I sold my SSN curse mask, I picked up two Thorned for... Two hundred and twenty-five bucks. So two. I looked at it as like I'm getting two sixes for two hundred twenty-five bucks, and I'm selling this one off for almost nine hundred. These are a little bigger. I can I can wear them, etc. Um, I can't say that I love them more than my more than my curse, obviously, but I could figure out why. And because the the artwork on them were was just phenomenal, I, I I always put Gary over as one of the best artists, best painters, best hair people that that there is, was, and ever will be. I'll put him up there on a level with everybody else. Um, but I couldn't figure out what was up with it. I I noticed like it was either the proper left or proper right eye was bigger than the other and I couldn't figure out why. And I remember I asked Gary at one point, he goes, that's something I never knew. And then I saw like the bottom of the nose, like there was no nostrils. It was like, it was covered over like when he molded it. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. So as I'm starting to make them and starting to learn things about, you know, the processes and stuff, um, it wasn't until later on that, people started discovering that there were some things that he was doing that was a little shady and I'm not going to get into it and throw him under the bus because he's not here to defend himself, you know, but from what I, from what I understood is the V the, the thorned V one that came out in 08 that I just talked about was a recast of Tommy Pickering Ghastly Productions, one of his copies, which also originates from a uh, Night Owl. But if you look at an H3O Productions Thorn V1, uh, there's really no details in the pool, especially like the copies, and it just, I don't know, it just looks really odd, odd looking. Paint jobs are nice on them, but the mask itself just looks weird. The hair always kind of threw it off for me. Like, I don't know. Was, I, I never really noticed how much the hair has an effect until I saw kind of what you were doing with the uh, the SSN masks. Right. Um, the second mask he came out with, now he wanted everyone to believe, and now I know this because he told me this personally. Okay. He and Terry had a beef that just wouldn't quit. Like Terry hated his guts. He hated Terry's guts. Terry helped get him thrown off of MMNet. Gary resented him for that. Gary hated him for that. 
I was one of Gary's mods on his first message board um, that he was running, the H3O Productions message board, where I met uh, Jason McNamara. So, um, and Gary and I used to chat all the time on the phone as well. And um, he told me flat out, he said, um, I'm going to do another H6 mask. And he said, I'm going to cast... Uh, CGP's mask because he's a fucking dick and I'm going to I'm going to sell him as cheap as I can um, to just rub salt right in the wound just to be a dick and for for what Terry put him through and their their beef and I'm not saying Terry's wrong or Gary's wrong there's obviously there's two sides to every story I'm sure Terry has his reasons obviously Gary had his Gary got really fucking pissed he lost a lot of friends, a lot of customers. I mean, I, I've i been there. I get it. You know, if you've been wrongfully accused of something or whatever the case is, and you got people just throwing haymakers at you, I get why you're bitter, and I get why he was pissed off. So I'm not minimizing his feelings here, but he told me flat out what he was going to do. Now, at that time, what he was recasting was the CGP V2 before I obviously had it, before I even ever made a mask. So, and he called it the Thorned LE, limited edition. He made everybody believe publicly that he retooled his V1 into the V2, and that is not the case, because if you look at them side by side, you're like, they look nothing alike, (laughs) you know, first of all. Second of all, he told me flat out what he was going to do and why he was going to do it. He was pissed. Um, and when I got the CGPV2, he was done with the Thorndell Lee, so it didn't really bother me, so I never really said a word. You know what I mean? I didn't care. Yeah. It's like I figure that's his business. He did a short run. He got his revenge. He feels better. We're moving on. And... Then this is where if Gary and I have any heat, it's all it's all from my side. And I felt like what he did here really kind of kicked me kind of in the balls from behind is he re-released right before he closed up shop, he re-released another limited run of the Thorned LE. Keep in mind, I'm producing the Raining Red at the time, and we're supposedly still really good friends. I reach out to him. I said, listen, Gary, I'm not going to call you out publicly, but I lost four of my customers that I already had pulls and paint and hair done for. I was waiting on final payment. They pull out because they're going to go buy your recast of my mask for about $150 less. Now, that's fine. You want to sell an H6, you want to come out with your V1 and sell it for that price, and I lose a client, so be it. I don't give a shit. But when I know that you recasted this out of spite, and now I own the mold, I feel like now you're fucking me and I did nothing but support you. He didn't agree with that. 
And we went back and forth and he's like, I never recasted that. I said, bullshit, dude. I said, you told me, you told me verbatim what you were going to do on the phone. He goes, well, prove it. I was like, well, obviously I can't. It was a phone conversation. He goes, well, then I guess it didn't happen. I mean, you can't blame you getting undercut like that's got to suck. <laughs> and it, again, it wasn't the undercut, but once you, once you release a master and a mold over to another artist and you sell it off, you no longer get to produce that anymore. You supposedly sold everything off with it. That's like selling your house, but still coming over on the weekend saying, well, I'm still going to sleep in my old room. <laughs> if that's wrong, then this is wrong too. And then, yeah. then to turn right around and produce a less quality version of my H six that I'm actively producing. And we're friends on Facebook. So he saw it. And he knew it and then acted like he never had that conversation. I'm like, come on, man. We have one more. All right. Who we got? It's, uh, Ryan Blue. Okay. Hey, Chris. Ryan here. I have a random question about the H6 mask. and It's been bugging me ever since I was a little kid, like five years old. Um, one of the last scenes of the movie, whenever Tommy Doyle and Michael Myers are facing off, there's a close-up on the mask and it show like it looks like there's no um holes for the nostril and the nose so i'm just wondering like am i crazy or has anyone else ever noticed this like it just it's been bugging me since i was a little kid that it looks like there's no holes for the nostrils like it's cool but at the same time i just want to know if anyone else has noticed it thanks man have a good day um yeah this is a real easy answer um as we all know we talked about it earlier the chemicals were poured all over the screen used masks and caused a lot of issues, etc. cetera. Uh, what they had to do and in the reshoots, they had a total of three masks and all of them were fucked up, but to hold them all together to keep them from deteriorating until they could foam fill them and do whatever they were going to do and preserve them afterwards is, um, the, that particular copy he's talking about, which is the one Nick owns, they actually put a layer of um, latex in the nostrils. They were they were originally cut for the producer's cut shoot, but in the reshoots they had to they had to fill them back up to pretty much hold the mask together. <laughs> um, which is why, like when it's sitting on his head, it it also looks like it's got like a Michael Jackson nose versus that big bulbous round nose that you saw in the producer's cut. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the reason. So for that, for that particular mask, they had to fill it. And of course, Brad Harden repainted that copy on set because it was a pile of shit. Uh, when they, after all the chemicals went on it. So yeah, I never knew that. More you know. What else you got? Anything? Uh, yep. No, that does it for all the uh, the voice takes. All right. Any closing thoughts? Anything you want to add? Anything you don't know? Anything you want to know? Or anything you didn't understand? Now is your chance to speak. Honestly, we covered so much in this. I don't think there's anything left to even learn. <laughs> My head is hurting as it is. Well, that means I talk too much. 
<laughs> no, it was just a lot to go over. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I I think that'll do it for this episode. And uh, if anybody, of course, out there that's listening to this has anything that we didn't cover, something that is not clear, make a thread, post it, and we'll we'll cover it on the next show, and uh, we'll we'll answer any questions that maybe you still have that we can help you get cleared up that sounds good and if you want to talk about ball taint or sasquatch or <laughs> camel hair brandon's your guy he's into that sort of thing and he's into ton uh tongue punching buttholes from what i understand i'm punching the fart box absolutely yeah so um, that's where you want to send those questions, uh, those type of questions over to him. Um, anything H6 mask related, posted it in the group and we'll cover it on the next one when he gets his tongue out of the Sasquatch's ass. 